You're listening to the Golden Edge Podcast, sponsored by Station Casinos, STN Sports, and presented by the Las Vegas Review-Journal and Blue Wire. Here's your host, Ben Goetz. Uh, couldn't be happier with bringing Bruce on board uh, as the next head coach of the Golden Knights. He embodies uh, so many of the traits that we were uh, looking for. A uh, great record of success. Um, you know, any way you want to measure performance of a team, uh, his teams have been extremely successful. So uh, I think a real opportunity for the Knights. I think that it uh, makes our team better. It only adds to the excitement uh, that we have uh, heading into uh, this coming season, and uh, we look uh, forward to working with Bruce and welcoming Bruce and Julie and his children uh, to Las Vegas. What is up, hockey fans? This is the Golden Edge Podcast, the podcast where the Las Vegas Review Journal talks about hockey. I am Ben Goats, your Review Journal Golden Knights beat writer, doing another solo pod, uh, but very excited about it because, oh my gosh, do we have big news this week. Uh, We had a coach's introductory press conference today. Yes, if you haven't heard, if you're living under a rock, the Golden Knights do have a new coach, their third in franchise history. The team also made its first major transaction of the offseason, a trade with the Montreal Canadiens. So we're going to get into that on today's episode. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's going to be jam-packed. We hope you guys enjoy uh, following along as we go through you know, the highlights of some of Bruce Cassidy's introductory press conference with the Knights and, of course, then react to the Evgeny Dodonov trade to Montreal. Before we get into everything, I just want to remind everyone that the Golden Edge podcast is sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. We are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Please check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. Plus, if you guys could rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do to podcasts, please do to this one. We would very much appreciate it. All right, let's get into it. Bruce Cassidy, it is. The Golden Knights have found Pete DeBoer's replacement, and it is a guy that is was not even on the coaching market when the Knights search began. The search wrapped up a little bit less than a month on Tuesday when Cassidy was named only eight days after he was fired by the Boston Bruins. So let's get into a little bit of Cassidy's resume here before we break down what he said and kind of the style that he is going to bring to the Golden Knights. He had a very interesting path kind of to the NHL bench. He was a first-round pick. Uh, he was actually a really good puck-moving defenseman but ended up having a pretty limited NHL career because he had some knee injuries. Uh, then he started coaching in 1996. Uh, one of my favorite facts about Bruce Cassidy is his first coaching job uh, was actually in Jacksonville of all places. So he is no stranger to strange hockey markets. That was in the ECHL and they were called the Jacksonville Lizard King. So that is where he got his start, slowly worked his way up the ranks until he was hired by George McPhee. Yes. The current Knights president of hockey operations uh, in Washington in 2002, uh, Cassidy only lasted until uh, part of the way through his second season before he got fired uh, by McPhee. So his first NHL goal round did not go very well. Then he rises up the ranks again. He's an NHL assistant, a junior coach, an AHL coach. And then finally, 
gets a chance to be a head man again with the Boston Bruins after Claude Julien gets fired and Cassidy ends up having a ton of success. Uh, The Bruins are ranked second in points percentage and second in wins behind only Tampa Bay. During his tenure, they make the playoffs all six seasons. Uh, They get a president's trophy. They get a Jennings trophy. He gets a Jack Adams trophy Uh, and they make it all the way to the 2019 Stanley Cup final. They get a game seven at home, uh, but Boston loses to Alex Petrangelo and the St. Louis Blues. And so then we fast forward to this year. The Bruins lose game seven in the first round to the Carolina Hurricanes. Uh, Three weeks later, after that defeat, Cassidy is fired by the Boston Bruins. And then he has an only eight short days. He is hired again by the Knights. No rest basically at all for Bruce Cassidy, who basically jumped uh, right into thinking about how he was going to adjust things for the Bruins heading into next year to uh, thinking about how he's going to sell himself to a new team. And it certainly seems like he likely had options based on his resume. But it was interesting that he, like I said, had basically no time off uh, in between jobs. And so I asked him about that as introductory press conference. And here's his response, including a reference to his wife, Julie. No, I, I, you know, when I, when I got the news, people reflect, obviously, but I want to go right back to work. I think I'm a young guy. I love coaching. Um, so that was a conversation I had with Julie very quickly. You know, Hey, it's gotta be the right fit for me, right fit for the team. Okay. So that, that's an obvious, but no, there was, I was going to uh, try to uh, pursue opportunities right away. And then, um, as I told some people, I just got tired of being out of work. So here we are. (laughs) So no doubt in Bruce Cassidy's mind, he wanted to get back behind the bench. And given all the recent success that he's had, it's hard to blame him. And it's obviously hard uh, to blame teams for wanting to go after him. So let's break down a little bit about what Bruce Cassidy is going to bring to the Golden Knights, the style of play that he had in Boston that you would have to think is going to have a strong correlation to what he's going to bring to the Golden Knights. Uh, The first thing to know about Bruce Cassidy's Boston teams is they were elite defensively. I mentioned they won one Jennings trophy during his time there for fewest goals allowed. Uh, That was with Tuka Rask and Yaroslav Halak in goal. But over his entire tenure, so which is parts of six seasons with the Bruins, they were number one in goals allowed. They gave up the fewest goals in the NHL uh, during his time there. So they were very, very good at suppressing scoring chances. You look at some of the kind of the more advanced numbers. The Bruins gave up the fewest scoring chances per 60 minutes last season, the fewest high danger scoring chances per 60 minutes last season. It is just hard to get good looks against a Bruce Cassidy led team, specifically the ones that he had on the Boston Bruins in recent years. I think that's a key calling card and what he's probably going to try to bring to the Golden Knights. Uh, The other thing to know about Bruce Cassidy and what he brought to Boston, and I think this thing is going to very much excite Golden Knights fans, is that his teams have had excellent special teams. Uh, The Bruins during his time there were third on the power play and third on the penalty kill overall. Four out of the five years he was there, the Bruins had a top 
uh, 10 power play. I should say four out of the five full seasons he was there, the Bruins had a top 10 power play. Four out of the five full seasons he was there, they had a top 10 penalty kill. So he has been very, very good and very, very consistent with both special teams units. It was also interesting hearing him talk about uh, the power play a little bit today. He clearly loves kind of breaking down the game and thinking about kind of power play structure and how to set up opponents. Uh, His big thing that he talked about today is he wants to have the forwards have the puck more and he wants to have more options closer to the net. So he wants the puck in the forwards hands close to the net as much as possible. Give them options that are also close to the net and keep the puck kind of in high danger areas. He said that this might be a change for guys like Shea Theodore and Alex Petrangelo, who are maybe used to shooting the puck a little bit more. Now he wants them to become more of distributors where they're giving the pucks uh, back to the forwards who are figuring out things to do with it down near the goal rather than having those two guys being just shooting threats up top. It'll be interesting to see how those adjustments and wrinkles play out uh, during the course of training camp and the preseason. Um, But just know, you know, Bruce Cassidy's kind of power play ideas uh, for the most part have been very, very successful in recent years. Now, part of that can obviously be attributed to all the high end talent that was available to him in Boston. You're obviously talking about David Pasternak, who's an elite goal scorer, uh, Brad Marchand and Patrice Bergeron, who are just outstanding playmakers. Uh, they've had good quarterbacks where Tory Krug was there for a while. Now he's with the St. Louis Blues. Then Charlie McAvoy takes over. He's uh, a very, very good defenseman that was on my Norris Trophy ballot this season. So there were a lot of pieces, you know, for Bruce Cassidy to work with with the Boston Bruins. But you would also have to say when you're talking about you know, Mark Stone, Max Pacioretty, uh, Alex Petrangelo, Jack Eichel, Shea Theodore. Those are plenty of pieces for him to work with as well. And it'll be interesting to see what he does with the Knights power play moving forward, because I think as most fans know, that has been just a complete sore spot for the last couple of seasons. Uh, the other thing to know about uh, Bruce Cassidy style, uh, I mentioned uh, elite defense, really strong special teams. Uh, with those things, I think specifically kind of that elite defense, those Bruins teams that he coached were just, I would say, you know, OK to average on offense, specifically five on five offense. The Bruins were 10th in goals for during his tenure. But a lot of that comes from that strong power play that we just talked about. If you look at purely kind of five on five offense and how the Bruins were able to create there, they were between eighth and 20th in terms of five on five goals per 60 minutes during Cassidy's five full seasons. So certainly not bad, but not great either. And a lot of that comes down to, obviously, when you are trying so hard on defense and so committed to a defensive identity, obviously that means you're sacrificing some offense when you're you know unwilling to have your players kind of fly the zone and everything like that. You're not chasing offense necessarily that means obviously you're probably not going to create as many scoring chances and so there's a obviously a balance there of like you know you want to be as tight as possible defensively but still be able to create uh, some looks on offense and for the most part the Bruins were able to figure out a formula you know that was very successful for them I mentioned you know all the accolades they piled up during Cassidy's tenure uh, but I think it's just important for fans to know that what that 
kind of successful formula meant for the Bruins is that they were not necessarily the most exciting offensive team at five on five because they were so committed defensively that they gave up almost nothing on that end. Um, So that's kind of my take on what Cassidy's track record is. But here's the man himself explaining the kind of style and what he can bring to the Golden Knights. Well, we're into year six, right? So the pressure's on, Um, uh, which is great. Uh, Previous market was, you know, an original six, so lots of pressure. So that to me is is a good thing. Um, You want to be relevant uh, and you you want expectations. So uh, we're all aware they're out there and we're, we're here to fulfill them. What makes me a good fit, I think, in general, I've, I've done a good job with um, certain areas of the game that are important in the National Hockey League. you got to value def- keeping the puck out of your net. You can't win if you're not good defensively. I think our teams have been very good in that structure, but we're doing it to get the puck back. We want to get into attack mode, uh, and I think we've, we've been, been very good with that. Um, our special teams are, are so important in the National Hockey League. I think our, our numbers speak for themselves. Um, in that area. Uh, I think we're a goaltender friendly uh, style of play in terms of how we're structured defensively. And I, and I do believe um, players will have the freedom and creativity to, to get going on offense and play to their strengths. And there's a lot of those players in this lineup. So I think that'll translate well. Uh, having some high-end offensive defensemen that can, can push the pace, I think, in today's National Hockey League is so important the way the game's progressed. Um, so that'll be a good fit because I believe in that. Um, so that is Cassie in his own words, explaining why he could be a fit here with this team. Uh, I mentioned one of the kind of, you know, knocks, if you want to call it that uh, on Cassie in his time in Boston is that his five on five offense wasn't great. Uh, like I said, it didn't necessarily obviously hold the team back from having a lot of success. But you even heard, you know, in kind of the Bruins exit interviews, general manager Don Sweeney, Bruins president Cam Neely kind of talking about, you know, how else do we create offense? Because they felt they were very rush reliant um, in terms of five on five. And they wanted to have more ways to create offense, not just being off the rush. That obviously sounds uh, pretty familiar to Knights fans who have been paying attention for, you know, this team has been very rush oriented for years and they're kind of constantly searching for more ways to generate uh, in zone offense. Um, so that's one critique of Cassie. It'll be interesting to see how it, he addresses it here and what adjustments maybe he makes. Uh, the other critique that we heard, and it seems to be the one that ultimately led uh, to his dismissal from Boston, is that, you know, in the words of Bruins general manager, Don Sweeney, his message takes a quote unquote toll on players and that by the end of Cassidy's tenure in Boston, players either weren't kind of hearing the message, receiving the message. The message wasn't resonating as much as it had been before, Um, which makes sense if you're playing a extremely defensive style of hockey that requires your commitment to that end and details in that end. I mean, that's a hard style of play that is likely going to wear on players after a while. And that's going to take a lot of out of them to be committed to that style over the course of a long uh, regular season. And, you know, any sort of playoff run, which the Bruins made the playoffs every year under Cassidy. And they advanced to the second round uh, four out of six years under him as well. So they're not always short stays in the playoffs. Um, and so I think specifically the critique that also got out was that 
Cassie's message was not resonating a lot with younger players because he was so tough on them because he required so much of that commitment to defense that he wasn't willing to always, you know, accept mistakes from younger players because he knew what he wanted and he knew what he was demanding in terms of, you know, his style and what he wanted to see from them. Uh, Bruins president Cam Neely uh, in exit interviews, and this is even before the team fired Cassidy, you know, even talked about he didn't want young players thinking about how they're going to be scratched the next game whilst still taking part in a game currently that basically he was afraid players would come to the bench in the middle of a game knowing they just made a mistake and immediately be thinking about, oh man, this is going to lead me watching the next game from the press box while the game is actually still going on um, in front of them. Now, you obviously could be interpreted a lot of different ways because Cassidy, you know, didn't have a abysmal track record with young players during his time in Boston before he took over, you know, the head coaching job with the Bruins. He was actually an assistant with them for a little bit. And then before that, he was a longtime assistant and then head coach of their AHL affiliate, the Providence Bruins. And so during his time there, he had guys like Tory Krug and David Pasternak coming up. And obviously those guys have gone on to have very successful NHL careers, despite having Bruce Cassidy, you know, as their head coach, as young players, uh, Charlie McAvoy, who I already mentioned is a guy that I think is going to get a lot of Norris trophy consideration this year is still a very young player. Who's come into the NHL under Bruce Cassidy, and he's had a tremendous amount of success. So it's not, you know, like it's impossible for a young player to have success under Bruce Cassidy. I think if you look at the Bruins uh, recent draft history, especially under Don Sweeney, there is a, a kind of, you know, chicken in the egg question in terms of like, are the Bruins not developing their young players properly, you know, especially as it pertains to Cassidy's coaching, or are they just not drafting and bringing in good players to the organization? I think you can debate that both ways. And obviously I think Cassidy would argue that one way, um, but it was interesting. So uh, my colleague, Ed Graney at the Review Journal, who wrote a uh, column on Bruce Cassidy's hiring that you guys can check out on our website, uh, asked him specifically about the accountability he demands um, from players. And this is a clip of Cassidy basically kind of, you know, defending his style and what he thinks it takes to be successful in the National Hockey League. Give a listen. Well, the accountability will be there. Uh, how you message it is, is always different from player to player, room to room. So, yes, absolutely. To answer your question. Um, and, and that to me is, will be a feeling out process. Uh, it'll happen quick. I think, you know, I'm pretty good at assessing what, how a player needs to be handled. Uh, I, I, I've always believed you have to earn your way in the National Hockey League. So as a younger guy, I don't like to let those habits and details slip. So they will hear uh, more of the message. How you deliver that message again is everyone has a different coaching style. Um, and, and again, I'll, I'll get to know the players and, and figure out what, what works best for them. But I do believe your team's not, if you don't have accountability, I don't think you have much in you, personally. You need the players to, to play for the crest on the front, you know, not the name on the back, and, and still allow them to be themselves. So that'll happen whether it's a young roster, old roster, in between roster, uh, no matter where they are in their careers. But again, how you do that to players, I think, is, is very important as a coach. Some guys have earned uh, a lot of rope, other guys are in the process of earning that rope. So uh, that, that's how it'll play out. 
Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today. Uh, so you hear that clip from Cassidy. Doesn't exactly sound like he's going to change his ways much moving forward with the Knights from what ultimately led to his dismissal from the Boston Bruins. And, you know, if you're in his shoes, I don't think that you can necessarily argue that that's the wrong approach. Um, as we've touched on, he had a lot of success in Boston. Now, obviously, it ultimately came to an end this past offseason. But if you're the Knights and you kind of want to sign up for the run that Bruce Cassidy just had in Boston, even if it ends you know, after parts of six seasons, I think you're pretty happy with that. Now, obviously, you'd like to win that game seven at home in the Stanley Cup final. But other than that, I don't think you have very many complaints. So I don't think the Knights should be as worried about his message, you know, not necessarily resonating, resonating here uh, like it did in Boston, at least in the short term, which is what this team is concerned with, with all the veterans and high priced talent they have getting results in the short term. And even if the Knights, you know, are worried about young players, it's not like they have a ton of them, at least kind of, you know, high level prospects that they necessarily have to be worried about, you know, having their growth stunted uh, under Bruce Cassidy. You know, if you guys checked out our solo episode that I did earlier this week where I kind of broke down some of the Golden Knights prospects, there's not a ton that you are, you know, probably expecting to make a huge impact on this team next season so you know if Bruce Cassidy is really hard on those guys I don't think it's necessarily a detriment to the Knights that some of them might not make an impact as soon as expected because I don't think the Knights were expecting a lot from those guys already so they can take their time learning exactly what this new coach is going to demand and what they need to do to kind of get on its good side and ultimately get playing time so uh, that was Bruce Cassidy's introduction to the Golden Knights. We'll obviously be talking about you know, him, his style of coaching, the things that he's going to bring to this team uh, so, so much in the coming, obviously, weeks, months, etc. It's going to be a very interesting training camp to see how the team responds to him, to see what kind of new styles he implements, to see how things are looking. You know, I mentioned kind of how he wants to bring some different ideas to the power play. I'm fascinated to see how that setup ultimately kind of works, how Theodore and Petrangelo react to maybe, you know, this new kind of distribution role for them rather than a shooting role. It's going to be really, really interesting. Um, but ultimately, the Knights uh, get Bruce Cassidy to be their third coach. They are the first team uh, to make a move uh, on the open market. Now, John Tortorella gets hired by the Philadelphia Flyers today, but the Knights were the first NHL team to make an outside hire uh, this offseason. So I think it's fair to say that Bruce Cassidy was very high up on their list. General Manager Kelly McCrimmon said the Knights did not interview many candidates. They kept things pretty tight. And obviously, like I said, this was not a candidate that was even available to them when they started their search when Pete DeBoer was fired May, May 16th. So it ends in a very interesting place. But, you know, given Bruce Cassidy's resume, you understand why it ended the way that it did. Uh, the things that they're still working on, they still need to feel out Bruce Cassidy's staff. The Knights have two openings 
uh, for assistant coaches. Uh, they could have three if they decide not to retain Mike Rosati. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon said when he fired Pete DeBoer that he would give the new coach the opportunity to interview Mike Rosati and decide whether he wants to keep him around. Uh, Cassidy and McCrimmon were having discussions yesterday. Uh, today, which is Thursday as we're recording this, is to, you know, possible assistant coaches. So we'll see what comes out of that. Um, other thing that was interesting is Cassidy's trying to touch base with every single player uh, before training camp. So he's already had a conversation with, you know, Mark Stone, trying to gauge the temperature of the locker room, kind of what where guys' heads are at and all that stuff. So we'll see him probably continue to progress uh, through there throughout the summer. So that's Bruce Cassidy. Let's move on to the other big piece of news for the Knights today, Thursday. And that is the fact that Evgeny Dodonov has been traded uh, for real this time. Uh, we assume, I guess, check back in a couple days to make sure that no trade got voided again. But this does seem to be legit. Uh, Evgeny Dodonov has been traded to the Montreal Canadiens in exchange for the contract of defenseman Shea Weber. Those are the only moving pieces in the deal. Um, so this move does clear up a fair bit of salary cap space for the Knights. Now, I specifically said the Knights are requiring the contract of Shea Weber because, um, you know, Knights fans probably know Shea Weber, longtime Montreal Canadiens, captain, multi-time uh, all-star, really, really good player, played more than 1,000 games, just a booming, booming, incredible shot. Um, from the blue line, but he did not play this season and it is very unlikely um, in Montreal general manager Kent Hughes, you know, specifically talked about it today that is just does not look like Shea Weber is going to be able to continue his career. He had multiple lower body injuries that kept him from playing at all this year. He was on long term injured reserve the entire time. And it looks like that's going to be the case for basically the foreseeable Future. So, like I said, he's got four years left on his contract. It does not look like the Knights will expect him to suit up uh, for them in any of them. So, he's going to be on long term injured reserve uh, this entire time. So, basically, that does mean the Knights are going to be able to exceed the salary cap because of that Shea Weber contract. And with the removal of Evgeny Tadonov's contract, it still ultimately gives the Knights about $5 million in salary cap space to work with offseason. The one kind of, you know, asterisk with that, um, because they're now going to be getting that salary cap space by using long-term injured reserve rather than kind of a normal method of just shipping out uh, Evgeny Dodonov and getting, you know, either uh, draft picks back or more likely sending draft picks with him, is that this means that they're not going to be able to accrue salary cap space in season. That's what being on long-term injured reserve uh, means for your books. So I think a lot of fans are going to remember uh, year three, the Knights took advantage of the ability to accrue cap space. Uh, basically every off day they had, they sent uh, Nicholas Waugh up and down about 30 different times um, because cap space is accumulated daily. So if you send a guy to the American Hockey League, even for one day, that means you're saving kind of one day's worth of a cap hit against your overall books. And that means you can kind of save up some extra money to use then ultimately at the trade deadline. You'll have extra flexibility when you're trying to add to your roster then. So uh, Nick Waugh, Nick Haig, Cody Glass, all those guys got just shuttled back and forth, up and down basically every off day the Knights had because there's no limit to how often 
you can do that. And that's what ultimately allowed them to have enough salary cap space that deadline to add uh, Robin Leonard, to add Alec Martinez, to add Nick Cousins and really kind of round out that roster. Uh, That option, like I said, because the Knights have now acquired a contract that's going to be on long term injured reserve in Shea Weber, that option is off the table. But I think why the Knights still decided to uh, go this route, um, which provides them like a little bit less flexibility that way, uh, is because this way they don't have to then probably attach assets to Evgeny Dodonov to clear up that salary cap space. Um, so people are obviously going to remember the Knights uh, have tried to trade Evgeny Dodonov before. Uh, did not obviously go very well. Um, and that was at uh, this past trade deadline, March 21st. The Knights attempted to move him to Anaheim along with a second round pick. So they attached a second round pick to Evgeny Dodonov to get the Ducks to take him on um, in exchange for the contracts of Ryan Kessler and John Moore and Kessler specifically was a long-term injured reserve contract as well, Uh, but he was an expiring. So he was not going to carry forward uh, beyond this past season, which makes him a little bit different than the Shea Weber contract, which uh, continues on for four years. Uh, So the Knights had to attach a second round pick to get off Evgeny Donov's, you know, remaining year on his contract, plus what was left on his deal for the remainder of last season. Obviously, a second round pick is a pretty steep price to pay to do that sort of business. Uh, this way, by sacrificing kind of the flexibility that not being in long term injured reserve provides, now the Knights basically save themselves a second round pick, essentially. So you can understand uh, why they ultimately decided to go this route in making this deal. Uh, now, this obviously ends like a pretty crazy saga for Evgeny Dodonov and the Knights. You have to feel for him with all that he's gone through in the past couple months. Um, it was kind of a whirlwind year for him with this team. He got a, gets acquired last offseason in July for a third round pick. And Nick Holden uh, comes in. He's expected to kind of provide secondary scoring, you know, especially Alex Tuck started the year on long term injury reserve. So you thought, OK, Evgeny Dodonov can kind of provide that secondary scoring that Tuck did, you know, can help out on the power play, specifically in that bumper role where the Knights just didn't have someone uh, like him before in the middle of their power play. And I would say it's, you know, ended up being kind of an up and down year. Uh, wasn't ultimately great. He did finish. Third on the Knights in goals with 20. He was fifth in points in 43. Yet on the other hand, he had a 17-game goal drought at one point from January to March. Uh, He really kind of didn't make an impact on the power play. You know, the Knights struggled all year. They finished 25th in the NHL on the power play. By the end of the year, Evgeny Dodonov is not on the top unit. Chandler Stevenson is. Chandler Stevenson is in the bumper role and actually was pretty successful down the stretch. So I just don't think it worked out as expected. Now, I think where you have to give Evgeny Dodonov still a lot of credit is that despite the fact that he was basically traded midseason and then obviously had the trade voided. So he had to come back uh, because he had the Anaheim Ducks on his 10 team no trade list and thus could not be traded there. Uh, he was still very professional about it, uh, scored in his first game back against the Nashville Predators, scored an overtime winner uh, his second game back after the failed trade uh, against the Chicago Blackhawks. So he rebounded really well and kind of compartmentalized, which 
I don't think is something a lot of people could do. So kudos to him for that. But ultimately, you know, I think everyone kind of knew heading into this offseason, like, well, if they tried to trade him once, uh, it's very likely they're going to try to trade him again because the Knights kind of salary cap issues are not exactly going away. And so that's ultimately what takes place today. And I think it is fair to point out that, you know, though the salary cap space that the Knights are getting here is going to be pretty necessary for them to accomplish um, a lot of offseason business that they probably want to do. And we'll kind of detail that in a minute here. I mean, it does make them worse. So, you know, like I said, still, despite the fact that I think there are things you can criticize about Evgeny Dodonov season, he still was third on the team in goals and fifth in points like that is production that now they are just not going to get next season. Uh, and in all likelihood, they're not going to, you know, add someone else to the roster to kind of to kind of take his place. They're likely going to use the money that they saved to try to retain guys from last year's team. So it's not necessarily going to you know lead them to provide going out and getting this kind of big upgrade on the open market. They're likely just going to use it on their existing team and trying to keep all their pieces in place. So it is in some respects kind of a blow to the Knights and they're really going to have to figure out, you know, some things potentially with their forward depth um, next season. Now, in terms of now where the salary cap uh, kind of leaves them, like I said, it gives essentially the Knights $5 million in extra salary cap space. It's a little bit more complicated than that when how you work it out. But I don't think, you know, the specifics of the LCIR math are worth going into here. I think, you know, the main takeaway should be the Knights, you know, as of right now, have about $5.2 million in salary cap space uh remaining or at least workable salary cap space this offseason that's with uh nine forwards under contract seven defensemen and two goaltenders with uh robin leonard and laurent brassois Uh, obviously if you want to consider logan thompson uh part of the mix as well you can i would expect the knights are only going to carry two goaltenders uh on the roster uh next season so that'll get figured out in some way, shape, or form, and could adjust the math. But that's roughly where they stand, about $5.2 million in salary cap space. And at minimum, they need uh, three forwards on this roster to kind of fill it out. And they have a bunch of RFAs that they likely want to add back, as well as two unrestricted free agents in Riley Smith and Matthias Yanmark. Obviously, you would think Riley Smith would be a guy that they definitely want to bring back. Uh, Matthias Yanmark. It seems pretty likely that his NHL career is likely going to continue uh, elsewhere just because of the math that the Knights are facing. Um, But you look at $5.2 million. Well, Riley Smith made $5 million a year on his last contract. So you bring him back. uh, There goes all of that money, which means that this probably is not the last salary cap clearing move for the Knights unless they decide to let Riley Smith walk. And even then they likely are going to need to do some work around the edges. Cause even 5.2 million uh, is likely not going to be enough to get all these restricted free agents signed. The four uh, big guys of the night still need to get in the fold are Nicholas Waugh, Brett Howden, Keegan Colasar, and Nick Haig. Uh, all of those guys are restricted free agents. Uh, Waugh, Howden and Colasar specifically have also arbitration rights, which means that, 
you know, at some point their situations are going to get resolved and they could get settled by kind of a neutral party. If it gets to that, it almost never does, but it does kind of give both parties an endpoint of negotiations of, okay, we have to figure something out before we go to arbitration and have to kind of defend our contract offers in front of a judge. So let's just figure something out. Um, Nick Haig does not have arbitration rights, which means there's really no kind of firm end date on his negotiations. So it'll be interesting to see how long that lingers. Uh, people remember that Shea Theodore, after the night's inaugural season, kind of didn't go to training camp for quite a while because he was in the same position as, as Haig, where he was a restricted, restricted free agent, needed a new contract, uh, did not have arbitration rights, which would kind of force him and the team to meet in the middle somewhere. So that dragged along a little bit more. We'll see if that is the same thing that happens with Haig. There's obviously that potential there, uh, but you never know how these things are going to work out. Um, so that's where the Knights are at. Like I said, even bringing back all four of those restricted free agents, I believe would cost more than the $5.2 million uh, of space that the Knights currently have. And obviously if they want to bring back Riley Smith, that basically eats up the entirety of that $5.2 million that they now have in space. So there's a lot of work still to be done uh, with the Knights in terms of getting salary cap compliant for next season and kind of filling out this roster. Uh, we'll see what happens. But the first domino fell today with this Evgeny Dodonov trade. Uh, that's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge podcast. As a reminder, we are sponsored by Station Casino's STN Sports. Uh, we are presented by the Las Vegas Review Journal and Blue Wire. Make sure to check out all our written work at ReviewJournal.com. I have had a ton of Bruce Cassidy stuff this week. I will continue to have Bruce Cassidy stuff through the weekend. My colleague Ed Graney has written a couple columns about the hire, giving his opinion uh, on you know what Bruce Cassidy means for the Golden Knights. And even a colleague Adam Hill is expected to ch- chime in with a piece on Cassidy's success on special teams for Saturday's paper. So make sure you're checking back. Uh, we've got so much stuff on there. I've got a story, of course, on Evgeny Dodonov being traded uh, as well. So never a dull moment uh, with this team. Even when you think you're safe after an introductory press conference, they drop a trade on you. So make sure you're always checking back and seeing what the latest with this team is. Uh, also, if you guys rate, review, subscribe, whatever you do podcast, please do this one. We would very much appreciate it. Uh, That's going to do it for this edition of the Golden Edge Podcast. I'm Ben Goetz. Talk to you guys again real soon. Locals know the STN Sports app is the most trusted sports betting app in Nevada. They have convenient sign-up locations across Las Vegas. So download the STN Sports app today.